Welcome back to another episode of Conspiracies with Chase. After a short pause in production, we are back to finishing out Season 4 of Conspiracies with Chase. The finale will include a little bit of everything. It will include mythology, urban myths and legends, international, and we might also include many legends, famous deaths, and a new series is going to be announced. So let's get started. To start off the finale, we are going to do part 3 of Urban Myths and Legends International. Today we are traveling to South Africa, Australia, Germany, Portugal, and the United Kingdom. From South Africa is the Adams Calendar. Adams Calendar, which may be the oldest man-made structure that is still in existence, was discovered in 2003 entirely by accident. According to HistoricMysteries.com, John Henney, a South African pilot, was flying above the Mpumalanga region, a hilly territory in the east of the country, when he lost control of his plane. Forced to make an unplanned landing, his plane crashed into a mountainside. Henney was miraculously unhurt and exited the plane to see three monolithic dolomite stones before him. These huge stones, weighing about five metric tons, converted to about 5.5 U.S. tons each, were sticking out of the ground, and next to them was a giant circle made out of stone. The whole theory and question surrounding the Adam's calendar is, did ancient South Africans craft a celestial calendar millennia before the likes of Galileo? That is going to wrap up that. We're going to move on to Australia who is proving to be terrifying with the Luna Park Ghost Train Fire. According to the Bragg.com, on June 9th, 1979, a devastating fire in Luna Park's Ghost Train Ride, said to be the result of an electrical fire, claimed the lives of seven people. Three of the victims were Damien Godson, along with his father and four-year-old brother. And what may have been for an eerie foreshadowing to the tragedy prior to their demise, the Godson family had been waiting for a ferry from Circular Quay to Sydney's Luna Park, when they were approached by a satanic-looking figure dressed in a loincloth, mask, and horned headdress. The man reportedly came up to the family, placed his hand on the six-year-old Damien's shoulder, and a photo was taken. To this day, no one knows the identity of the man dressed as the demonic figure, but some believe that the horned man resembled the god Moloch, who was asked for children to be sacrificed through fire or war, while others believe the man to be linked to a local satanic cult. That's going to end that. We're going to move on to Germany with Lorelei. And this one's going to be short as well, because it, there wasn't much I could find on it. According to culturetrip.com, according to German folklore, atop a steep rock on the Rhine River, there once lived an exquisite nymph named Lorelei. She dressed in white and wore a wreath of stars in her hair. Not only was her physical beauty astounding, but the sirens sang a song so haunting and hypnotizing that no sailor could resist her aura. Enticed by her song, legend has it that no sailor who tried to reach Lorelei never returned. Instead, they would meet their final fate by crashing against the dangerous rocks. Today, a statue of Lorelei watches over the treacherous stretch of water near St. Gorishajan. And the second to last country for today's Urbanists and Legends is Portugal with Quinta das Cancas. 
According to discoverwalks.com, this farm was owned by several families before Francisco Montero turned out to be its owner in 1899. Little is left of the house, but you can still see its structure, which reminds you of old colonial houses. Montero was an important producer in Sao Tome and Principe. He lived in Angola, Mozambique, and Timor. Mantera also was the founding partner of the Lisbon Geographical Society. He was the founder of the fields in Santa Margarita, Monte Macaco, Mianco, and the Sao Tome Islands of Principe, where the main exploration was cake and coffee. Despite his thriving career, Francisco Montero had a dark side. He fell in love with a native woman in the Sao Tome, whom he had a daughter with. Her beauty was not so unique that he locked her in a house in the Quinta das Concas. Was it for jealousy, for not wanting her to be seen by others? We don't know, but the woman was imprisoned in a cage. After many years of captivity, she went mad and ended up dying. It is said that one can still hear the sounds of weeping, and then they turn into cries of distress. If you're feeling curious and wish to visit this place, you need to know that it is forbidden because there's a real risk of collapse of the house, so you better keep your distances. And to wrap up the urban myths and legends is the United Kingdom with the Big Grey Man. According to CountryFile.com, what Kali had experienced was a classic case of a brush with the Big Grey Man of Ben McDewey, an enduring myth of an extremely large Sasquatch-like, gray-figured, covered in short hair. Wherever the gray man ventures, he's accompanied by a sense of irrational panic and dread. Although Kali vowed never to return to the mountain alone, saw nothing. Kali, by the way, was a man who went to a mountain in the UK and had a contact with the big gray man. He vowed to never return to the mountain alone, and he saw nothing. Others were not so lucky. In October of 1943, while on 10 days leave, soldier Alexander Tunyon reached the summit of the mountain and immediately noticed in the whirling mist that the atmosphere became dark and oppressive. A fierce, bitter wind whisked among the boulders, and an odd sound echoed through the mist. A loud footstep, it seemed, then another, and then another. A strange shape loomed up, receded, and came charging at me. Without hesitation, I whipped out the revolver and fired three times at the figure. When it came on, I turned and hared down the path. More rational minds point to a possible explanation for the terrifying sightings. The Brocken Spectre, a rare atmospheric effect caused by the projection of your shadow onto mist and cloud, sometimes accompanied by a rainbow halo called a glory. Brocken specters have been sometimes been witnessed on Ben Macdu when conditions have been right, but why it might be the cause of the fear that overcomes experienced climbers and scientists. Could the terror be the manifestation of an ancestral memory of hominids from a thousand generations ago, or is it the mind's response to isolation and exhaustion? Could it be the place's essential spirit? Is it genius lucky? Sometimes unknowable and so much larger than ourselves that our mind struggles to comprehend and replaces with the avatar of a monster or a spectral presence? Or is it a fluke of the landscape that produces infrasound and other sensory data just out of our reach? What dreadful spirit stalks the lonely mountain or on Ben Macdu? And if it's specific to the place, 
Are there any other places that inspire such fear on these islands of ours? That's going to wrap up the urban myths and legends portion of tonight's uh, finale. Now it's time to talk about mythology, and part three of the mythology series is going to be a big one. It's going to include Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, and the story of Pandora's box. First up, was considered the biggest and most important god in Greek mythology is Zeus. Zeus was a sky and weather god who is identical to the Roman god Jupiter. Zeus was regarded as the sender of thunder and lightning, rain, and winds, and his traditional weapon was the thunderbolt. According to Britannica.com, as ruler of heaven, Zeus led the gods to victory against the giants, and successfully crushed several revolts against him by his fellow gods. According to the Greek poet Homer, Heaven was located on the summit of Olympus, the highest mountain in Greece. It was a logical home for a weather god. The other members of the pantheon resided there with Zeus and were subject to his will. From his exalted position atop Mount Olympus, Zeus was thought to omnisciently observe the affairs of men, seeing everything, governing all, rewarding good conduct, and punishing evil. Besides depending justice, he had a strong connection with his daughter, uh, Dyke, or Justice. Zeus was the protector of cities, the home, property, strangers, guests, and supplicants. That's going to end him, and we're going to go on to Poseidon, who is the god of the sea. He's also known to be a violent and ill-tempered god. He was one of the twelve Olympians and was also feared as the provoker of earthquakes and worshipped as the creator of the horse. According to Theo.com, at birth Poseidon was swallowed whole by his father Kronos. But Zeus later enlisted the aid of the goddess Metis, who fed the titan a magical elixir, causing him to disgorge the god. During the War of Titans, the Cyclops crafted a magical trident for Poseidon, and together with his brothers Zeus and Hades, he defeated Elder Gods and imprisoned them in the Tartars. Poseidon and his brothers drew lots for the division of Cosmos after the fall of Titans and won the sea as his domain. When the giants beside the gods of Olympus, Poseidon crushed Polybots beneath the island of Kos. He entered a contest with goddess Athena for the dominion over Athens and produced very first horse as a gift. But the king refused him the prize in anger. Poseidon afflicted the land with drought. The god assaulted his sister Demeter in the shape of a horse as she was wandering the earth in the search of her daughter Persephone. Next god is Hades, the god of the underworld. According to Britannica, after Cronus was overthrown by his sons, his kingdom was divided among them, and the underworld fell by a lot to Hades. There he ruled with his queen, Persephone, who over the infernal powers over the dead, that is what is called the house of Hades, or simply Hades. He was aided by the dog, Cerarus, through Hades supervised the trial and punishment of the wicked after death. He was not normally one of the judges in the underworld, nor did he personally torture the guilty, a task assigned by the Furies. Hades was depicted as a stern and pitiless, unmoved by prayer or sacrifice, like death itself. Forbidding and aloft, he never quite emerges as a distinct personality from the shadowy darkness of his realm, not even the myth of his uh, abduction of Persephone. To finish part three of mythology, Here's the story of Pandora's box. This version was provided by GreekBoston.com. 
Prometheus and Epimetheus were titans, but pledged their loyalty to Zeus and the Olympians since Prometheus was born with the special power of prophecy and knew that Zeus would defeat the titans. Zeus rewarded Prometheus and Epimetheus for their loyalty and gave them the job of creating the first creatures to live on Earth. Epimetheus formed the animals and gave each a special skill and form of protection. Prometheus took his time molding man and was left with no forms of protection since Epimetheus had already given them all away. Prometheus knew man needed some form of protection and asked Zeus if he could let the man have a fire. Zeus refused. The fire was only for the gods. Prometheus ignored Zeus and gave man fire anyway. For this, Prometheus was punished. Zeus tied him with chains to a rock far away in the Caucasus Mountains where nobody would find him. Every day Zeus sent an eagle to feast upon Prometheus's liver, which grew back every day so that Prometheus would have to endure this torture every day until Heracles found Prometheus and killed the eagle and let Prometheus go. This torture wasn't enough of a punishment for Zeus, who also believed that humans should be punished for accepting the gift of fire from Prometheus. To punish man, Zeus created a woman named Pandora. She was molded to look like the beautiful goddess Aphrodite. She received the gifts of wisdom, beauty, kindness, peace, generosity, and health from the gods. Zeus brought her to Earth to be Epimetheus's wife, even though Epimetheus's brother, Prometheus, had warned him of Zeus's trickery and told him not to accept gifts from the gods. Epimetheus was too taken with her beauty and wanted to marry her anyway. As a wedding present, Zeus gave Pandora a box. In ancient Greece, this was called a jar, but warned her never to open it. Pandora, who was created to be curious, couldn't stay away from the box, and the urge to open the box overcame her. Horrible things flew out of the box, including greed, envy, hatred, pain, disease, hunger, poverty, war, and death. All of life's miseries had been let out into the world. Pandora slammed the lid of the box back down. The last thing remained inside of the box was hope. Ever since, humans have been able to hold on to this hope in order to survive the wickedness that Pandora had let out. And that is going to shift us from mythology over to the famous deaths portion, which is a mix between famous deaths and many theories, and it is the Paul is Dead conspiracy. About 50 years ago, a Detroit DJ accidentally started the biggest hoax in rock and roll history, the Paul is Dead craze. According to Rollingstone.com, it blew up on October 12, 1969, when Russ Gibb was hosting his show on WKNR. A mysterious caller told him to put on the Beatles' White Album and spin the number 9, number 9 intro from Revolution 9 backwards. When Gibb tried it on air, he heard the words, Turn me down, dead man. The clues kept coming. At the end of the Strawberry Fields Forever, John says, I buried Paul. What could it all mean? The theory meant that apparently Paul McCartney got killed in a car crash back in 1966, and the band replaced him with an imposter. In case you're wondering, he's very well alive. Also from Rolling Stone, as Paul told Rolling Stone in 1974, someone from that office rang me up and said, Look, Paul, you're dead. And I said, Oh, I don't agree with that. That's going to end those two, and we're going to go on to a new series called Scandals that will be coming with season five, but this is going to be a part of the finale for season four. We're going to start off with Bernie Madoff. According to History.com, Madoff, who was born in Queens, New York in 1938, founded a small trading firm bearing his name in the 1960. 
The business was established in part with money he earned working as a lifeguard. Two decades later, Madoff's firm, which helped revolutionize the way stocks are traded, had grown into one of the largest independent trading operations in the securities industry, and he and his family lived in the life of luxury, owning multiple homes, boats, and expensive artwork and jewelry. Based on the success of his legitimate operations, Madoff launched an investment advisory business as part of his firm. And it was the business that by the 1990s had become a Ponzi scheme, in which he paid his earlier investors with funds received from more recent investors. For years, clients of this business were sent account statements showing consistently high and fraudulent returns. Potential new customers clamored for Madoff to invest their money. However, in 2008, with the U.S. economy crisis, Madoff's financial swindle began to fall apart as his clients took money out faster than he could bring in fresh cash. On December 10th, 2008, Madoff revealed to his brother and two sons, who worked for the legitimate arm of his firm, that his investment advisory business was a fraud and nearly bankrupt. Madoff's sons turned their father into federal authorities, who arrested him the next day. Madoff was freed on $12 million bails and placed under 24-hour house arrest at his penthouse on Manhattan's Upper East Side. The fallout from Madoff's scam was widespread. The victims included everyone from his wealthy country club acquaintances, Hollywood celebrities, banks, and hedge funds to universities, charities, and ordinary individual investors, some of whom lost their life savings. The charitable foundation of Holocaust survival Nobel Peace Prize winner Ellie Weasel lost more than $15 million and also lost his personal savings. Public outrage was further stoked when it was revealed that since the late 1990s, a private financial fraud investigator, Harry Markopoulos, had repeatedly warned the Securities and Exchange Commission about a suspicion of Madoff was operating a massive investment scam. On March 12, 2009, Madoff pleaded guilty to the 11 felony counts against him, including securities fraud, money laundering, and perjury. On June 29th of that year, a federal district court judge in Manhattan sentenced Madoff to 150 years in jail, calling his actions extraordinarily evil. And that is going to wrap up today's episode and season four of Conspiracies with Chase. Thank you so much for being here, not only for this season, but for the last three. We're going to take a short one to two week break from publishing, and we'll be back with season five after that break. Thanks for listening. I'm Chase Abden, telling you that I cannot wait to start chasing conspiracies again in Season 5.